Hey everybody, today I'm super excited. This is a, a rarefied find. I actually have Mike August on. Now, anyone who's been paying attention to podcasts for 10 minutes has heard the name Mike August. Might not have heard him directly, but you've definitely heard him as a character on the Adam Carolla Show. So stimulating, yes. <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> a character. Well, you kind of are. How, how, how do you like that in a way that... You're, I've been I've been mischaracterized on the Adam Carolla show daily. I'll go with that. How about that? Well, is that a is, <laughs> is that a radio tradition? Yes, absolutely. You know, radio is a very kind of uh, uh, what's the word in the moment type of medium. It's not like it's pre-produced, scripted the way television you know typically is. Radio is you know personalities in real time talking, and so whatever's handy is handy, and whoever's around them. You know, if you're a big fan of the Howard Stern show, as I was. The greatest moments in that show were always Howard mixing it up with staff, you know, just constantly putting him through their paces, you know, him, them making him nuts, him, t you know, taking them down, you know, literally it was a daily soap opera, you know, where he just turned the dial on the story one click every day. You tune in next week to see if, you know, the engineer could do 10 push-ups. That's, that's radio. That's great radio. At least. Well, and that's what I think is um, fun about it. I, I think that, um, Corolla has um, said before that he's never going to say, well, how about your mother-in-law? Oh, she's a dear lady. He's always going to say, oh, that old battle axe. Exactly. That's comedy. You know, it, 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 she's a wonderful person. That's funny. She's a horrible witch. Hilarious. And it's true. You know, negative stuff is funny. So Mike August is famous as being one of the worst drivers in the history of man. Best drivers. <laughs> as I say all the time. If you can drive like I drive consistently and still, you know, be breathing, then you are a tremendous driver because I drive like a maniac. And I've been doing it forever. And here I am. <laughs> okay. So where did the stone pelican come in? That was just a throw out. Uh, we, were at a, we were at a gig, I think in Atlantic City. We got our customary hospitality stuff you get when you play a casino where they just throw you a bunch of, hey, here's your vouchers, go nuts. So you can just walk in any restaurant on the facility. So we went into a, uh, I think a Chinese place. Um, and we had like 250 bucks between three of us. And of course, Adam being Adam, you won't waste a thing. He wants to spend the entire 250, right? Mm -hmm. So either we're going to drink it, we're going to eat it, whatever. And so I start ordering and I order stuff I like. I order like fried rice. I say, don't order fried rice. We can't eat enough fried rice. We have to go with you know, more protein stuff. Like, I will eat this fried rice. I promise you. It will get eaten. And it did. You know, giant, you know, family size serving of fried rice. And so that's, you know, how the, the I'm like a pelican. You, know, you just keep throwing stuff in a pelican's beak, I guess. And, uh, I don't know how the stone part works in, but you'd have to talk to the comedy master. That is so funny. And now you he is nuts. You do travel everywhere with him, don't you? Yeah, yeah, we've been doing live shows uh off the podcast since we started, so we've traveled the country and even the world two or three times over. You know, we've done live shows in London, Amsterdam, Dublin, uh, you know, we've done them in Canada, and Montreal, and Vancouver, and in every major city in the in, the, in America at least three times. And so, yeah, all those trips require copious travel and planes, trains, and automobiles. We've rented cars, driven, you know, seven hours between gigs. We're like a band. You know, we just, we, we'll line up two or three at a time and just knock them out. That's got to be both satisfying and exhausting. Yeah, you know, if, if you, you know, 
with Adam, because he's so efficient in how he likes to do stuff, it's, there's not a lot of uh, downtime. We do this stuff. We do it very efficiently. You know, we will, we will fly in at the last minute. We will, you know, literally do the gig, get in the car, drive overnight if we have to, to be at, at set up for the next one. Um, you're moving so fast and getting through the stuff at such a high clip. Cause then we do other stuff while we're there. We'll do Nangria signings at liquor stores. We'll do book signings at, at bookstores. We'll do promotional stuff. We'll do fan stuff. We crowdsourced a movie and had to do a lot of personal uh, visiting stuff. So we're, we're just, the calendar is very full when we hit the road. There's no downtime. There's no vacationing to it. It's totally work trips. So they go very fast. You know, it's just a blur of, of hotels, restaurants, rental cars, backstages of venues, you know, meet and greets. It all looks the same after a while. You can see how the bands get so jaded to it, you know, cause you, really when you'll see somebody get on stage and go, hello, Cleveland. No, I mean, Akron. I mean, <laughs> you know, they don't even know what city they're in because it really is. America is very homogenized. I mean, all the malls look the same. All the airports look the same. All the hotel lobbies look the same. Backstages all look the same in venues. It's it's really kind of interesting that way how little dimension there is to the United States. You know, we really really commoditize the whole place. Do you take pictures of your uh, room doors and things like that? Because you'll go to the same hotel night after night and forget which floor you're on. Uh, uh, forget what floor, man. We forget what hotel we're in. I mean, <laughs> I have to keep my key in my literally. I, I forget. You get confused because you've been out over two or three days. You've been out of two or three hotels. Like, are we at a Marriott? Are we at a, you know, because we have, we have this great relationship with, uh, uh, who is it now? God, Hyatt Regency gives us a great rate. So now we're all in the Hyatt Regency. So it makes it easier because now it's always Hyatt Regency. But it used to just be a hodgepodge. You literally forget what hotel you're at. You have, to, you have to pull the thing out of your thing. And it never has written on it. It's always blank. So you have to then get your itinerary. I go, oh, we're at the Marriott this time. This one's a Marriott. I'm, I'm sure it's this one. Not the one at the airport, the one downtown. Are you sure? Uh, literally, it's that nuts. Well, you rattled off a, a ton of revenue streams when you were describing what yep. you're doing and you're traveling. Now, are you the yeah, biz- yeah. business manager over all of these? Yeah, I'm the, I am the CFO of what we call Corolla Digital, um, which is a marketing moniker. It's actually a, a, you know, an S-Corp that Adam dropped when we started doing podcasts 10 years ago. And they just all grew out of, you know, our need early on, even before when we started the podcast, you know, we were, we had no advertisers for the first year. It was all just going out the door as far as production and broadband and, you know, all the other overhead costs that attached to that with no advertisers whatsoever. And when we got our first advertiser, it was like really exciting because our advertising uh, company, I won't mention their name, CBS. Calls up and goes, we got an advertiser. Like, oh, great. Is it GM? Is it Ford? Is it, you know, whatever. It's Adam and Eve dildos. Oh, super. (laughs) First advertiser. Adam and Eve dildos. But, you know, hey, happy to have them. Fantastic. A useful tool. Yes. They were a steady buyer. We hated to see them go. You know, it just became, as we got more successful and the price of the, the ads got more expensive, they just couldn't you know spend at that level anymore so it was just kind of like this they they got us going and then we kind of sailed away but yeah so post you know even before we had advertising we had audience that was the that was the bizarre you know uh thing about having what was considered a very successful podcast adam always equates it to being you know an nfl star in the 50s you're a big big star everybody (laughs) knows your name and you make ten thousand dollars a year 
you know, you spend sure. your off season selling insurance because <laughs> or at a car wash because you're not making any money, even though everybody in the country knows how good you are at this thing. Um, so we started doing live shows. We literally said, well, let's just take the podcast and put it on a stage and let you knock the format out as if we were in studio and put guests in it. And, you know, that worked out very well and turned him into a kind of a headliner. And then we started, uh, mutating that into him actually standing up in front of an audience with a video behind him. And so that kind of created a quasi stand up feel. And so we franchised that, um, you know, so that got him paid and we did a, you know, a ton of, you know, national days doing that. Cause Adam's, about Adam as a you know as a star, he has brand equity. You can call up any radio station, any TV station in the country, and say we're coming, and they'll put you on and promote you. You know, they'll sure, put you sure. on in advance, and they'll do localized stuff, so it helps move tickets. So yeah, that we turn that into his work. While the podcast was essentially that thing that's going to work going down the road once the advertiser starts kicking in, and that happened. Year two and a half, we really started seeing you know what I would call six figures in revenue. Hmm. Um, so it's turned into an, you know, an actual business at that point, but it took, you know, that's probably five years before we started seeing, you know, seven figures annually in advertising. Wow. Wow. Well, you were particularly suited in a weird way for your current position, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. You know, because I have a background, obviously, uh, as an agent, I was an agent at uh, the William Morris agency for, you know, over a decade working with guys, you know, work with Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla, even before they were man show guys back in the early radio days, they were clients of ours and a lot of other comedy clients. I was in New York in the, in the New York office. So we majored in standups. We had everybody from the Dennis Learys who was breaking off MTV at, the, at that time. This is in the nineties to a young guy named John Stewart, who was a, uh, you know, just an up and coming standup in New York. <laughs> we just wow. started getting hired on comedy central and, once Comedy Central hired him, they never stopped hiring him. You know, he just went from show to show to show inside Viacom's empire, you know, and just really never got back out as a stand-up, even though he was a tremendous young stand-up uh, in the 90s. You know, he's now coming back around. I see now he's got HBO, you know, stand-up deals in place, so you'll start seeing more Jon Stewart stand-up. Wow. wow. But yeah, so that was like my experience and, and all my emphasis was in the comedy business. Um, you know, we packaged and sold Kevin James into King of Queens and we represented Ray Romano into everybody loves Raymond. So we were taking stand-up personalities and, and really brokering them into either their own vehicles and cable or into sitcoms and network. I started uh, a, a franchise called uh, Rob Becker's defending the caveman. We started in comedy clubs and it grew to become the longest running one man show in Broadway history. So that was a lot of fun watching that. It was like a six-year window of just knocking it out every day in the in the personal appearance area, until we took it into a, a Broadway frame, and then it just you know literally exploded there, and then became a national touring thing. And you know he's now retired and very very wealthy. So I had a really good background in what the possibilities were for comedy, you know, from the stage and then in, into other mediums. So when Adam. You know, I was uh, one of the producers on his morning radio show in 2006 or 2009. I was working, I'd left William Morris and started uh, with Jimmy Kimmel Live. Uh, when Jimmy started the show in 2003, I joined in like 2005. Mm-hmm. And uh, while, while I was there, Adam got a chance to replace Howard Stern. Howard Stern uh, retired, retired, moved on to satellite radio in 2006. And so there was a huge need in the radio business. We had to fill the, the very big shoes of Howard Stern. And so Adam Carolla was given the opportunity 
to do syndicated radio. He picked up uh, 13 markets west of the Mississippi. So we started a morning show out of a station called KLSX in Los Angeles, which was Howard Stern's morning station there. And we held it down for, you know, for three and a half years doing, you know, five shows a week. He was number one in every market west of the Mississippi, except LA, which was really, (laughs) yeah, it was a real problem because that's the only market that the CBS radio cared about. You know, Adam was getting paid very well. But they didn't care that you never went to Seattle or Portland or Vegas or Phoenix or San Francisco or Denver or Boise, you know, all these great markets, Sacramento, you know, so we don't care. You've got to be number one in L.A. like Howard was. And like, there is no replacement for Howard Stern. That was a very unique thing. And now there's a lot of competition. So after three and a half years, they just said, we're moving on. They flipped the format. They got out of the talk business. And literally, we went down on a Friday. And on Sunday, Jimmy came over and sat in Adam's uh, uh, studio, not in studio, his office at his house, and we knocked out our first podcast. And then Joel McHale came, and then uh, Seth MacFarlane came over, and we just started just leaning on personal relationships. And then I started, you know, basically booking it, where I'd go out and get people Adam didn't know, but make interesting conversations. And so we parked it at Adam's house for like six months. But, you know, when Andy Dick finally ate all his ham, that was it. <laughs> We had to move out of the house. He couldn't take it anymore. So he took a carpet warehouse that he put his cars in, and we built a studio there and started doing the show there. And that was eight and a half years ago, and we're still there today. So it's been a real success story. So you're not only building a show, though. You're kind of building an industry. Well, we're a cog, I think, in a, in a burgeoning industry. Yeah, I say all the time we haven't scratched the surface of what podcasting's worth. You know, I say to all the other podcasters that are out there when I see them, the Mark Marins, the Joe Rogans, the Bill Simmons, we're not competing against each other for audience. We all are collectively competing against other mediums for audience. We're competing against radio. We're competing against, you know, the internet. We're competing against the YouTube because we're all after share of eye, share of ear uh, for our individual, you know, mediums and you know podcasting is really a very as, as ubiquitous as the word podcasting is as well known it is as it is it's a very tiny uh industry you know the entire industry this year is probably will do a quarter of a billion dollars in ad sales which sounds like a lot except for the fact that there's 550,000 podcasts on itunes Correct. right and i guarantee you you can't find 50 that you'd even call an actual enterprise and a quarter of a billion dollars, I mean, radio, which is a failing medium, which is you know losing uh, advertising share, and all the majors have dumped out of it in the last five years, literally dumped out of it or gone bankrupt, will do $17.5 billion this year. You know, television this, this, this year will do $80 billion. So, I mean, podcasting at $250 million is a rounding error to other mediums. And that's who we're essentially boxing out of the boards or to, to get audience, to get then what the audience gives you, which is advertisers. Advertisers have not in any way, shape or form come into podcasting significantly at all. Cause it's just not a big enough footprint to attract their attention. They, you know, the whole thing is you want to go national, spend TV, you want to get into big markets. You can buy on radio much cheaper, but radio is still that place to go. And we're sitting here with podcasting, which is a vastly superior medium for the listener. I mean, you, you know, radio, can you stop and start it? No. Can you share it? No. Can you, you know, um, download it and listen to it when, when you want, uh, where you want, how you want, like you do with radio? You can't do that with radio. Can so you track how have, long they listened? 
Exactly. And we don't have any of the dynamics. All that's done. You know, they have the, the PPMs, which are, I think have been the death knell of radio is the PPM years because they, what they demonstrated was literally their, their radio diaries before that were completely false. That's what killed radio is hmm. they had no anticipation that when they put PPMs on people, which is basically a digital recorder that records everything they listen to through a day, they found out people weren't listening to radio at all. They weren't listening at anywhere in the numbers that were, that were reported. They certainly weren't listening for the amount of time that was reported. Um, we see in podcasting, because it is digital, so we know to a person you know, who's downloading that file, who's partaking, we know how long they're engaged. We know geographically where they are. We can survey and find out you know, to a very nth degree of, of the, what their demo is, their age, their gender, their income level, all that kind of stuff, much more efficiently than, than, than radio can. So it's a superior medium for an advertiser all the way around. It just doesn't have significant delivery numbers to encourage the spend yet. Um, I know you have a limited amount of time, so I definitely want to try sure. to pack some things in. Um, are you concerned yeah. at all about the reputation of podcasts? And by that, I mean... There were some Edison numbers at Podcast Movement, which I attended this year, and it was something about uh, 68% of the people in America have heard of a podcast. They know what it is. Right. Of that right. number, 40, maybe 40% 40 of those actually listened to one in the past month. Of that number, right. maybe 5% actually listened to them regularly. And I'm, right. I personally fear that there's a reputation with podcasts that they're Wayne's world of audio. You know, kind of like public access cable, a bunch of amateurs. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. And that's true to a large extent. Because I, as I said, you know, as I referred to, we haven't scratched the surface of this medium on any front, on the advertising front, on the delivery front, on the audience front. It is, even though the word is very ubiquitously known, right, the, the participation has not, you know, uh, followed yet. And, it, and it's going to take some time to, to grow that adoption. But because, you know, everything is generational, the one generation that hasn't yet jumped into podcasting in large numbers is that 18 to 30 demo, mm, even though okay. they've got, you know, they're, they're the biggest users. They're using it for other things. They're working on video. They're socializing their own content. They're doing a lot of that. They're not listening in, in, in any type of sufficient numbers yet to podcasts, to long form audio. And that will change as more and more talent that is essentially uh, what's the word uh, attractive to them moves into podcasting. You know, I just came out of a meeting before I, I got on this call with a, you know, a company that represents a suite of YouTube influencers who, you know, mm. do literally aggregate of, you know, tens of millions of dollars in brand integration and, and advertising dollars off of YouTube. And they're all looking now for the next thing because YouTube's algorithms are getting more and more draconian and they're seeing their CPMs get, get, you know, pushed out you know, push down further and further. So there's less return on their, on their YouTube content delivery. And so they're knowing what's the next thing. Podcasting is definitely the next thing because it is a very elastic platform. As we've been discussing with Corolla, look at all the things we've built out under the Adam Corolla podcast. Look how, look how malleable the format is as far as, far as bringing listeners into the tent and then doing other things, live shows. He's, he's written four New York times bestsellers off the podcast. We have a beer brand. We have a wine brand that we, you know, have a marketing uh, relationship with, and we own the IP 100%. Um, so that's what allows, what podcasting allows is for talent to franchise themselves in a platform that they own the production auspices of, they own the distribution of, they literally own the audience of, 
you can't do that in Hollywood. Hollywood is all about distribution, owns the pipeline. They'll they'll pay you something up front for it, and you'll never see any net profits on the other end because it never kicks out that way. Um, so for the talent, it's a very attractive medium podcasting because it allows you to have so much uh, ability to monetize that relationship with the audience way more than a YouTuber can with their YouTube audience. You know, so my point is we will see, I believe, those type of, of individuals come into the podcasting space for literally just, you know, the, the, the ability to have all these uh, levers at their disposal. And that will then create adoption. And uh, I think that, you know, as we've seen with, with the, the, young, the youth generation, once they get behind something virally, it catches on like wildfire where yesterday it was literally, you know, standing still. It can be a, you know, a full sprint very quickly because of, of the, how quickly they can adopt uh, to technology much better than the, say, the over 35 crowd who, you know, or even certainly the plus 50 crowd, who you can't get any technological innovation. You know, the cable was a lot. Radio, satellite radio is a lot. Trying to get those, those, that demo to download a podcast, subscribe to a podcast, access it on a, on a, on a consistent basis, very, very difficult to do. Easily done with the younger generations. That makes sense. I have one last question that I have to ask for all the podcasters that I know or listen to the show. Podcast sure. One Underground. When does that take off? Uh, you know, I would have to refer to our management here at Podcast One. Um, they've got a lot of initiatives on the table. They just launched uh, Sportsnet. Um, I know they, they've had a great desire to ramp up programming on the premium side as well. We feed it from Corolla Digital with some premium offerings on some live shows that we do. Um, so I would guess that the underground is in that you know, same space where they're, again, they're trying to build the programming base into something that would attract people to subscribe or listen to it, you know, um, which is not an easy thing to do when you've got so much traffic out there, There's so much content to filter through. And it all comes down to how much, how much promotional weight and spend can you put against something so that it not only uh, samples, but it, it actually, you know, pays out. And when they, they feel like that would work on the underground thing, that's when I think you'll see it come out. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on. Please, happy to, to have uh, hope enlighten you guys about podcasting. Obviously, we're huge proponents of it here at, at Corolla Digital and Podcast One. And uh, encourage everybody, as Adam says every day, if you like what you hear, tell a friend, because that's the, that's the way we grow the show. Give us your network. Give them a show like a, uh, like a gift. They won't be sorry. We have people come up to us all the time and say, hey, my aunt, my uncle, my cousin, my brother, turn me on to you. I never even heard of you. It's always such a punch in the face. I've never heard of you. This is the first, <laughs> first thing I walk up and tell them, I didn't know you. I've never stumbled across any of the you know, thousands of episodes of Loveline and Man Show and personal appearances and everything you've done. I'm immune to it all. <laughs> but somebody else told me you were good, you know, who's a plumber. And now you're on the fan. <laughs> like, okay, we can start with that. Best advice of all. That's the best. The best. 
Hi, this is Kara Mayer Robinson, and I host Really Famous. I interview A-list celebrities. I dive deep because I used to be a therapist. This is what Tim Gunn said. I just have this antipathy for the judges. I can't stand being in the same room with them. Tim Daly. If you're not working in L.A. and you're an actor, there's no worse place to be. Michael Rappaport. I changed schools every year from the third grade to the twelfth grade. Disruptive was my thing. Chaz Palminteri. I knew something was going on. I said, I got to talk to somebody. It's Really Famous. It's like eavesdropping on a therapy session. Hey listener, Dutch here from Voice from the Underground, the podcast. My co-host and I want to invite you to check out our little corner of the podcast verse. At Voice from the Underground, we talk about all the crazy happening around us and try to make a little bit of sense out of the nonsense with little to no results. If the idea of hearing three semi-intelligent, outspoken nerds talk about politics, social issues, current events, sports, movies, pretty much anything that we decide to talk about because, well, it's our show, appeals to you, grab your shovel and come on down to the underground and then consult a qualified psychotherapist. Find us wherever you get your podcasts, just not where you buy your weed. Boys from the underground.